Hey everybody, it's Terry McDougall and welcome to our newest episode of Marketing Mambo. Today's episode is brought to you by winning the game of work, career happiness and success on your own terms. It is my book that was published by New Degree Press. It is available on Amazon as an ebook and as a paperback. I wrote this book because I wanted to share many of the unwritten rules of the game of work that many people don't know and cause them to be frustrated and spend a lot of time and effort and energy on things that they think are going to make them successful but actually just make them tired and frustrated and stressed. So if you would like to be happier and you would like to be winning at the game of work, check out my book on Amazon. Again, it is winning the game of work. And without further ado, let the mambo begin. Hey everybody, it's Terry McDougall and welcome to our newest episode of Marketing Mambo. My guest today is Wayne Mullins of Ugly Mug Marketing. I can't wait to share our conversation with you. It was really such a great conversation. But before I jump into that, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. It's the book that was written by yours truly, and it's been published by New Degree Press. It's available as an ebook and as a paperback on Amazon. I wrote this book because I wanted to share many of the unwritten rules of the game that many people don't know and which can cause them to feel frustrated and spending a lot of time and effort and energy on things that they think are going to make them successful at work but actually just make them tired and frustrated and stressed. So if you would like to be happier and you would like to be winning at the game of work, check out my book, Winning the Game of Work, on Amazon. And now, without further ado, let the mambo begin. Welcome to Marketing Mambo with your host, Terry McDougall. It's the fun and fast podcast where we cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe. Hey, everybody. It's Terry with Marketing Mambo, and I am excited today to bring you a guest, Wayne Mullins, who is CEO of Ugly Mug Marketing. He has been called the guru's guru when it comes to marketing. So I can't wait to pick his brain a little bit and learn more about what they do at Ugly Mug Marketing and how he helps businesses grow. So Wayne, welcome to Marketing Mambo. How are you? I'm doing well, Terry. Thank you so much for having me and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too. Well, so I just gave a very high level introduction. So could you tell our listeners more about what Ugly Mug does and who you are? I I think you're in Pineville, Louisiana. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. We are based in Alexandria, which is just over the river from Pineville. Alexandria is a, a small town. You know, most people, when they think of Louisiana, they think of New Orleans. And so if you picture New Orleans and picture all the images that come to mind when you think of New Orleans, and then think of the polar opposite, 
that is where we are. We are in Alexandria, which is kind of the polar opposite, small town population, just under 50,000 people. But what we do, Terry, is we work with growth-minded entrepreneurs, helping them reach their goals. And that unfolds in kind of three broad categories. So the first being social media marketing. The next would be what we would call just general marketing, everything from television to radio to print to whatever it may be. And then the last one would be web. So those are the three, you know, quote unquote, core buckets that we work within. Great. And, you know, I'm very intrigued as to where you got the name Ugly Mug Marketing, because I like that. And I'm also looking at you and you're not ugly. You're not an ugly mug. I think you're being tough on yourself. Where'd you get that name from? Yeah. So so the name, despite what people say, it's not, not from myself. The name actually comes from this uh, gentleman of the name David Ogilvy. So David Ogilvy came over to the States back, I believe it was in the early 50s, maybe in late 40s. And he proceeds to build the world's largest ad agency. To this day, they're in the top 10. But David supposedly had this, this saying that he was famous for inside their agencies and inside their offices. And that saying was, I would rather see an ad that's ugly, but effective than one that's beautiful that isn't. And, you know, the kind of the rumor is that he had to constantly say that over and over again. And, and, you know, I think as marketers, oftentimes we can deceive ourselves or we can get lured into pursuing the quote unquote beautiful. We can get lured into trying to win a design award. We can get lured into the latest web thing that makes our website look cool or look fancy and do all these things. And when we do that, you know, we lose sight of what matters most and what matters most are the results that we're after. So that's the long, the long answer to, mm-hmm. to the short question, Terry, is it comes from that saying, and we try to use that just as a constant reminder. In other words, our name serves as a reminder to stay focused on the results that we're after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I mentioned it in, in the intro that um, the purpose of marketing is to help businesses grow. And it's even though many people who are drawn to marketing and advertising are creative people, and we like to make things pretty, we like to play around with words and pictures and colors and all of that, that that's a means to an end. And the objective really is to help the businesses grow. And sometimes, you know, something that's pretty and and artful isn't necessarily going to be that vehicle that gets us to more sales. So how did you start Ugly Mug? Sure. So the story actually began for me my junior year of college. And for whatever reason, my parents decided to give me some CDs by this gentleman of the name Zig Ziglar. And, And those CDs were on selling. I don't remember the exact title or what the what the CDs were exactly about. But through listening to those CDs, Zig did a phenomenal job of selling me on the profession of selling. So I knew at that point that I wanted to go into selling. I had to go into selling. So fast forward, I graduate, I get a job in sales. And to be honest with you, Terry, I was terrible. I was absolutely horrific. But I was determined because Zig said I should be determined to stick with it, to learn and grow. You know, back then he would always talk about being enrolled in automobile university, which means anytime you're in your vehicle, you should be learning, you should be listening to things to quote unquote feed your brain. So I I believe that. I followed that. And over the course of about a three-year period, I finally got good at selling. I got so good that I started looking at 
my pay, what I was making from the company I was working for. And then I started looking at the amount of revenue that I was bringing in for the company. And this, this dangerous thought pops in my head. It says, hmm, if I'm bringing in this much money for them and I'm making this much, what if I did something for myself? So that kind of escalated or, or took me down a different path, that one thought. And so from there, I, I decided to sit down and make a list. What are the things that I'm actually good at? Other than selling, what am I good at? And to be honest with you, Terry, that list was very short. It had one <laughs> word on there. It was cutting grass. <laughs> that was the only other quote unquote marketable skill that I could figure out that I had. So I decided to start a lawn and landscape company. Over the course of a three-year period, grew that company from startup to a very sizable company, and I sold that company. It was in the course of that growth that I actually had some of the clients of the lawn company come to me asking for marketing advice. How are you growing your company so fast? What are you doing? And that turned into other people, friends, colleagues, other businesses reaching out. And so slowly over time, what started out just as casual conversations around marketing turned into ultimately ugly mug marketing. I love that story. That is so great. And so interesting too, that, you know, it was sort of like, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention, right? That you were like, okay, I know how to sell. I'm going to start a business because I want to benefit from my own labor, right? Not give a lot of that value away to the owner of the company that you work for. You want to be the owner, be the capitalist. And then also how, because you were able to market that other people said, hey, how are you doing that? So it sounds like your first customers were the customers of your lawn care business. Yeah, that that is right. It started out with some customers because they saw the growth that we went through. I mean, they had, you know, sort of firsthand experience of seeing just starting out with me and then additional employee and additional employee and the company just grew and the number of accounts grew. And so it started there and then kind of word of mouth spread to other people, other business owners. And that was the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. That's such an interesting pivot from lawn care to to marketing. <laughs> so like, would you give us kind of an overview of typically what you were helping these small, I'm presuming that they were small businesses, and maybe you can give us like an idea of the types of businesses that you had for those early clients and, and where you started with them? Sure, absolutely. So to answer the the second question first is, you know, it was a wide range of businesses that we worked with. So it was everything from restaurants to auto repair places to insurance agents. It was really, you know, at that point, mm -hmm. it was anyone who needed lawn and landscape work done. And so that was really where the first clients came from. And where we started, I, I think, Terry, for most entrepreneurs, for most business owners, for most people in marketing, I think it's very easy to overcomplicate marketing, right? Marketing can seem like this huge daunting thing with infinite possibilities and, and people become overwhelmed. They don't even know where to start. And so in that state of overwhelm, what they often do is they relegate or they advocate their responsibility as marketers to the sales rep. So in other words, mm. the advertising sales rep who comes and knocks on the door and says, hey, we've got a great deal on radio spots this this month, you know, normally they're X this month, you can get, you know, two times as many for X. Are you interested? And because business owners, entrepreneurs, and even marketers are so overwhelmed with all the possibilities, they often will just turn that over. And then here's what happens is, so the sales rep will say, 
okay, Mr. Business Owner, Miss Business Owner, we appreciate your business. What do you want to say on the radio spot? Well, the business owner then says, well, I have no clue. Can you go put something together for me? Mm -hmm. So now the sales rep goes back. They put together a radio script. They come back. And because the business owner has delegated it completely, they come back with something that may not even be in line with their overarching strategy. So where we started was really to to say this, that marketing doesn't have to be complex. Marketing doesn't have to be complicated, but you do have to be strategic. Because if you're not strategic, you are going to constantly be in a state of overwhelm. And then the B side to that is you're not going to know if it's working or not, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not strategic about it and you're just throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks, you can't effectively measure and monitor to determine what is working and what isn't. Yes. Well, that's brilliant. This has come up again and again and again on this podcast is that start with strategy. <laughs> you got to get clear on what that goal is. And, uh, you know, as you were talking there, and I was thinking like, even if, even if some of those activities did work, if you're not measuring and you're not clear on what you want each tactic to do, you might not know what part of your marketing or media buy is even working, right? So it could be working and then that's great, but you can't optimize because you're not sure which part of it is driving the revenue. No, that that is so true. You know, I think because today there are just so many options when it comes to marketing. You know, you rewind 15 years ago and the number of options that a business owner or an entrepreneur or even a marketer had was fairly confined. In other words, there weren't just endless opportunities or endless options to choose between in terms of getting your message out to the world. Well, today, you know, just if you think just in the terms of social media, there are literally dozens of different platforms where you could and maybe should be putting your message. And so how do you determine where to put it, where to place it? And when do you progress from one platform to another? Or do you progress? Like, what does all this even mean today? There's just so many options available today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the truth. It's funny because my... um first job in the workplace is in the 80s, right? And I worked for a magazine publisher and it was pretty straightforward, right? I mean, we had a, we had an audience, it was B2B. We had an audience for the publications and there were a limited number of places for certain companies to even advertise, right? Like you could go through our conference and maybe meet our attendees face-to-face or you could advertise in our magazine. And you know, now there's just such a plethora of ways to meet different audiences of potential customers, and even the way that people interact has changed. I get those coupon pack things in the mail. And there was a day years ago when I would kind of go through them to see like, oh, are there any good like pizza coupons in here or something like that. But nowadays, you just don't do that, right? Like they, I'm sure some people probably still use them, but it's generally going right in the recycling. And, you know, you're going to the internet, if you're looking for a pizza joint. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the places we start, Terry, with clients is we start with just a basic definition of marketing. So what is marketing? And what's so interesting when you ask people that question, like, how do you define marketing? If you ask a hundred people, you're going to end up with pretty close to a hundred different answers to that question. And the one thing that we find to be true, regardless of how someone defines it, is there's often a confusion between the difference between marketing and advertising. Most people believe that they're one in the same. 
Mm-hmm. And the truth is that advertising is merely a piece or a small component of marketing. Mm-hmm. And so when we start with clients, you know, we say, okay, there's a lot of great definitions for marketing, but here's how we're going to define it so that we can be on the same page with you. Our definition is simply this marketing is your ability to attract and to keep a customer. That is it. So it's your ability mm-hmm. to attract. And then to keep. Now, for most people, they understand the attraction side, right? Because that's where a lot right. of the advertising takes place. Mm-hmm. But most people never give any thought to the keeping side. And so when we say keep a customer, what we mean by that is extend the lifespan of a customer, right? And not only that, but we believe that when you are intentional about quote unquote keeping customers, you can turn your customers into evangelists for your company, your product, your service, or your brand. And so it's from that one little simple definition that we begin the entire conversation and we begin steering them through kind of the next step, which would be what we would call the natural progression. Yeah, you know, I like that definition. And I certainly also agree with you. And that again, this is a theme that's come up again and again on Marketing Mambo is that there's not a universal understanding of what marketing is. And I completely agree with you that if you asked 100 people, you'd get 100 different variations, you know, everything from advertising to sales to all kinds of things, right? And I like the fact that you have defined marketing as really as an activity, right? It's a set of activities, because then that's sort of an umbrella of things that you actually do. And the way that you do them, there are a plethora of ways that you can attract and retain clients. And, and I also agree with you that, you know, probably not enough attention is paid to the retention uh, of customers. And research has shown that it's actually less expensive to continue to sell to customers that you already have rather than going out and and attracting new customers. And to your point, you know, I also love that whole idea of of turning the customers that you have into evangelists. And the last several years, there's been a lot more attention paid to the whole idea of customer experience. And I'd, I'd love to throw that out to you and ask about how you would define customer experience and maybe how you're guiding some of your clients through how they can pay more attention to customer experience and use that to retain and delight customers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy to speak to that. Do you mind if I kind of go backwards a little bit first no, and then all. come back and get to not that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what I would say is, as it just relates to thinking about it, your marketing as both the ability to attract and to keep customers, kind of a litmus test we give people is we say, okay, if we were to sit down and analyze your marketing budget, what percentage of your budget is going to attracting customers and what percentage of your budget is actually going to keeping customers? And for most people that we talk to and most people that we ask that question to, it's well over 90% of their marketing budget is spent on attracting new people. And just like you said, Terry, we all know that it's cheaper to sell to someone who's already done business with us, right? Mm -hmm. And it's also far more likely that we're able to convert someone who's actually bought our product or service 
into an evangelist than it would be to convert someone who has never purchased our product or service. So that's one just for people listening, that's one litmus test is to step back and say, okay, I'm gonna look at my marketing budget, whether that's $50 a month, whether that's 500 a month, 5,000, the number doesn't matter. What percentage of it is going to attracting? What percent is going to keeping? Now, to come back to how do we create evangelists and how do we advise, we start with this thing called the natural progression. And the natural progression is simply this, that no matter where your potential customers are in the world, they could be in the United States, they could be all the way around the world in another country. All human beings go through the same buying cycle every single time. Doesn't matter if you sell a $1 product or a $1 million product. Everyone goes through these same things. It's human psychology. And as marketers, we're wise if we align our marketing around the natural behaviors that people take. So we love to use the analogy of an old clock, analog clock hanging on the wall, circular clock. So on the clock at the 12 o'clock spot, we would have out there what we would call strangers. So these are people in the world who we believe could be a good fit for our product, our service, whatever it is we may have. Over at the three o'clock spot, we have friends. So these are people who know a little bit about us. They know about our product, our service, whatever it may be. And then down at the six o'clock spot, we have customers. So these are people who have pulled out the wallet. They've handed us money in exchange for our product, our service, whatever it is of value that we deliver. And so for most people, when we think about marketing, that is all we think about, right? We think about broadcasting our message to the world, getting people to know about us enough that they pull out their wallet and hand us money. But there's a whole other side to this clock or this equation, and that is the evangelist. And they're sitting over at the nine o'clock spot. When we are intentional about creating evangelists, a beautiful thing happens is those people then go out and tell their friends. So we're able to bypass the entire stranger portion of this entire equation, right? Now, let me just briefly walk through that cycle. So to move someone from a stranger to a friend, the core element there that's needed is they have to know about you, right? If they don't know about you, they're never going to like what you say, what you do, what you stand for. The big component to go from a friend to a customer is that they have to like you, they have to trust you, right? They're never going to pull out their wallet if they don't trust you. Now, when we think about how this all relates to marketing is this, most entrepreneurs, most business owners, and I would go as far as say as most marketers demand too much or expect too much from each and every campaign that they put out there. In other words, we put a campaign out there and we expect or we demand it to bring people from stranger all the way to pulling out their wallet and handing us money. And what I would say is that when we demand that much or when we expect that much from one particular campaign or one particular ad, we are setting ourselves up for frustration because it just doesn't work that way. Human beings aren't wired to see an ad, particularly if it's for something that, that's more expensive and go from seeing the first ad to pulling out the wallet and handing us money. Mm-hmm. Right. So every product and service is different in terms of the number of times they need to uh, see the messaging depending on the the size of the product. But what we like to tell people is, okay, what is the one ad or one campaign that we can run to get strangers? In other words, to get people who you believe would be good clients to know about you. What's the one campaign that we could do? Where can we run that? Where do we need to put it? What does it need to say? The next one is, what do we need to run? What do we need to do to get people to actually like 
the product, like the service, like the company. And then the next campaign is, what do we need to do now to build trust? So before where most people would take and say, okay, I'm going to run a Facebook ad. What's going to happen is they go set up the campaign. No one ends up buying. And then they start thinking, well, Facebook marketing doesn't work. Or mm-hmm. you can replace the media. The media doesn't mm-hmm. matter, right? Sure. The problem is we have to realign our expectations. We can't demand so much from one individual ad or one individual campaign. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I I love that. And, and and really, what we're talking about is like, okay, is this is this awareness? Is this an awareness campaign, or is this? You know, is there a call to action here where, oh, we're running a, a promotion this week. And so that now's the time to buy now that you you know who we are and and you trust us and you see that maybe there's some social proof that other people have or you've incented me to come in and and test drive your car or whatever, where you kind of get over the hump of saying, no, that actually is a quality product. Now, I, I believe that that might be something that I'd like to own. So, yeah, very interesting. I like that. And what's probably one of the biggest hurdles that you have to get over with clients when you're teaching them about your approach to marketing that it sounds like it works very well? Yeah, I think one of the biggest hurdles, Terry, is that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are very impatient, right? Which serves them well in many aspects. I'm speaking of myself. I'm very Mm -hmm. impatient as well. Yeah, Uh, It serves us well in many aspects of what we do, right? So we're able to jump out quickly and move forward quickly. And, you know, it's a lot of that ready, fire, aim approach to things. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to marketing, if you want to remove the complexity, if you want to remove the frustration, you have to do it the other way. You have to be patient. You have to build it out strategically. You know, start with what you just explained. Like, is it awareness? What are the awareness campaigns we're going to run? Then what are you know, the social proof campaigns. And then what are the call to action campaigns we're going to run? And when you do this, when you step back and you think think about it through that strategic lens, the complexity goes away because now you know exactly mm-hmm. what you're doing at each step. And the other thing is you're now able to hold each ad accountable, right? So your awareness campaign, you can hold that campaign accountable to reach and to frequency. Whereas if your call to action campaign, you know, reach and frequency maybe aren't as important as the click-through rate or the conversion goal that you have mm-hmm. set for that campaign. Yeah. So we're able to hold each ad accountable in a different way. And mm-hmm. you know, what I would say is that clarity matters a lot when it comes to marketing. And I'm not talking about messaging. Yes, clarity matters with messaging, obviously, but clarity matters a lot with marketing because when you're clear about what each campaign or we, each ad is intended to do, you are then clear if it's doing it or if it's not. And you know, the old adage, the old joke, I don't know who originally said it. It's the saying that half my marketing dollars are wasted. I just don't know which half it is. And, and it's such a true statement because we don't take the time to step back and to think strategically about this process. Right, right. Because we're so anxious to like, hurry up, let's get the marketing done. Right. But you know, I always say uh, well-planned is well-executed, right? When you take the time on the front end to understand what the plan is and what the purpose of each activity is, that you're much more likely to have success. So I'd love to switch gears and go to that nine o'clock place on the clock. Um, You know, specifically, what are some of the things that you do to help your clients build that evangelism among their existing clients or customers? 
Sure. So when we talk about creating evangelists, you know, that's on the keeping side of the equation. So we've talked just about attracting. And now when we start talking about keeping, I think one thing we have to acknowledge is that most of us, most entrepreneurs, we love our babies. So what I mean by that is we love our product. We love our service. And in some cases, we've sacrificed a lot to bring that thing to life, right? Mm -hmm. We've made incredible sacrifices to bring it to life. But because of our sacrifice and because of our love for the thing, whatever that thing is that we provide, sometimes we're a bit delusional about the reality of how we deliver that thing to the world. And so one specific example of that is Bain and company did some research and they went out and they surveyed business owners. I think they surveyed 400 different business owners and they said, on this scale, what level of service do you believe that you provide when delivering your product or service? And the options were like below average service, you know, expected service, slightly above average or superior service. And, you know, entrepreneurs being the way that they are, business owners being the way they are, 80% of them said, we deliver superior service. So when we deliver our product, our service, 80% of them said it's superior. So what Bain and company then did is they went to the customers of those businesses and they asked the same question. Hey, we know that you've done business with X, Y, or Z company and using the same scale, how do you rate them delivering below average, expected, et cetera? And only 8% of those customers said that the companies delivered superior service. So when it comes to creating evangelists, we can tell ourselves all day long that we're wonderful, that we provide remarkable superior service, but our opinion doesn't matter, right? What matters is what the customers say. And so when we start looking at creating evangelists, the best place to start is by asking, what does a reasonable customer have the right to expect in this transaction? And the exercise that we love to do is take a sheet of paper and you're going to draw three columns. So three columns on the, on the page. And in the middle, you're going to say expectations. What are the base expectations? So what you're going to do is you're then going to write down for every step of the process. So if they're buying online, okay, so what does a reasonable customer have the right to expect when it comes to checking out on our website? Well, they expect there to be no more than two screens. So you write that down. When they have an issue with the product, how many times do they expect the phone to ring before our customer service answers it? Okay, a reasonable person would expect it, us to answer it in five times or less. Go down the list and walk through the buying cycle of your customer. Write down what a reasonable person, a reasonable customer has the right to expect. And then on the right side of that, you're going to write down what would exceed those expectations? What would bring each of those areas up? So if checking out, if a reasonable customer ex expects three pages during checkout, so what if we could get it down to one page? Mm -hmm. Would that exceed expectations? When they do have an issue with the product or our service, if they expect five, could we answer the phone in only three rings? Now, so we believe in walking through that step-by-step. Step. Now, the most important one is actually this, which is kind of counterintuitive, but on the left column, we request and we require them to write down what does it actually look like when you under-deliver, when you don't hit expectations. So if it's three pages expectation during checkout, what if it was five pages? And so we want them to write that down. If it's five rings on the phone call, what if it took 10 rings? And the reason is because we often give ourselves a pass. We assume that we're doing at least 
the minimal. In other words, we're at least mm-hmm. hitting expectations. We yeah. rarely say we're screwing this up. We're messing up. And so until yeah. we write that down and see it on paper, it's very tough for us to actually own that. But the only chance we have of creating true evangelists for any company, any organization is to consistently exceed what's expected. Yes. You know, and as you were talking about that, that sounds like a really valuable exercise. And what occurred to me was that, yeah, well, of course, like once you have the expectations, you can measure it, right? The reason why 80% of people think that they're delivering at a superior level is because that's what their intention is, right? But they may not have the mechanisms in place to ensure that that happens. And I really do love the fact that you make them go even further to the left and say, like, if if the service sucks, what does that look like? Because, you know, it might be that, okay, on a few of these criteria, they're delivering average or even superior performance. But if there are some areas that when you actually measure it, it's 15 rings, or I had to be on hold for 25 minutes, or I had to scour the entire website before I could find the customer service number. And you were talking about that. I was like having flashbacks <laughs> of less than superior service, but that's really great. And what kind of results have you seen for some of your customers? I think that it's probably clients when it's an agency, but what kind of results have you seen once they've worked with you? What kind of growth or opportunities have you seen arise for them? Yeah, absolutely. You know, before I before I answer that question, I'll step back because something you said is absolutely so true. You said that we judge ourselves or we judge what takes place based on our intentions, right? We intended to provide mm-hmm. superior service. Mm-hmm. And that's true in all areas of life. So whether it's in business, whether it's in personal, we always judge ourselves based on our intentions. But the world, those around us always judge us based on our actions or our mm-hmm. inactions. Yeah. And so it's so important you know that you bring that up because we do often deceive ourselves based on what we intended to do we give ourselves a pass because we had the right intentions our quote unquote heart was in the right place yeah but at the end of the day our heart being in the right place doesn't matter if they leave us a one star review on amazon right yeah what actually happened is what happened Right? right. Not what we intended to happen. So right. it's absolutely true. So yeah. <laughs> and you have to take responsibility for that too. If you really want to earn the the trust of customers. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, that's one of the things kind of sticking on that topic for just one second is I often tell people, I say, look, it doesn't matter what you believe to be true about your level of service. If you believe you're providing remarkable, phenomenal service and I pull up Yelp and you've got a two out of five star rating. And again, I know there's anomalies. I know there's people out there who can leave crazy reviews and, and are mm-hmm. you know just naturally inclined to view the negative in a lot of things. But if you've got 50, 100 reviews and you're at a two out of five, like it's time to have a, a, a tough conversation with yourself and say, look, something's not lining up here. My expectations and my actions are not in sync here. So mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so as we're starting to wrap up, I'd love to hear about some success stories that you've led some of your clients through. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, Terry, I think the the biggest success for us is the length of time that our clients stay with us. It's easy to get big percentages and big numbers and they grew from one office to two office or three, whatever all those stats would be. And we certainly have all that, but what we say is, you know, when we work with a client, we tell them, look, give us two months. Within two months, 
you will know, and we will know if we're a good fit. We're not asking you to sign a long-term commitment. We're not asking you for any of those things. We just want you to give us a couple of months to figure this out. And what I can say is the best results that I can tell you we've gotten is the clients who stay with us year after year after year. And our retainers aren't cheap. And I'm not saying that to to brag, but what I'm saying is we base our relationships on one thing and that is results. And so we know that the sooner we can pay for ourselves with our clients, the longer they will stay with us. And that's a constant thing. We can't just do it once, (laughs) set it and Mm -hmm. forget it. It's a month after month commitment to these clients to consistently deliver results. And so that's maybe a cop-out answer. Yeah. I mean, return on investment is where it's at, right? And if you guys are, are biting that, and then there's no reason for them not to continue to work with you. Well, so Wayne, where can people find you and Ugly Mug if they're interested in learning more about your services? Sure, Terry. The simplest place is just on our website. That's just uglymugmarketing.com. Uh, all of our social channels are there. My email address, phone numbers, all that stuff is there. So that that's the easiest place. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on today. And I want to just give you one last opportunity to leave us with some words of wisdom. Sure. What I would say, Terry, is that in all of business and really in all of life, consistency creates miracles. And I know that very often entrepreneurs don't like doing the same thing over and over again, right? We're always seeking the new, the novel experiences, but in our marketing efforts and really in our lives for that matter. It's the things that we do consistently over and over again that ultimately create the miracles. Yes. And what what came to mind for me when you were saying that is it harkens back to something that you were saying earlier about trust. People are not going to open their wallet if they don't trust you. And when you're consistent, that builds trust. So that's great. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Wayne. Thank you so much, Terry. I enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Mambo. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, like, and share. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the show notes for my social media and contact information. Until next time, adios.